Welcome to the 180 Podcast. You are listening to a teaching of the 180, a new church committed to learning to love Jesus and love like Jesus. Our prayer is that God would use this teaching to help you grow closer to Him and that you would feel moved to join us in person, where you can grow in community with the larger 180 family. Bienvenue à la balado-diffusion de l'Église 180. Vous écoutez un enseignement de l'Église 180, une nouvelle Église qui s'est engagée à apprendre à aimer Jésus et à aimer comme Jésus. Notre prière est que Dieu utilisera cet enseignement afin de vous aider à vous rapprocher de Lui et que cela vous donne envie de vous joindre à nous en personne où vous pourrez vous épanouir au sein de la communauté qu'est la grande famille de l'Église 180. Well, good morning, everyone. Today, uh, we're continuing our series that we've been steadily working through over the past number of weeks on 1 Corinthians. And if you've been following along with us in the series so far, you'll know that this is a, a, a letter that Paul writes to a church in the city of Corinth in order to address just some serious issues that they're dealing with that are causing pain and division amongst them. And together, we've been doing the hard work of really entering the story of learning from Paul's words and how they help us to grow in our lives today. And I'm just really proud of our home groups, everybody who's in our home groups, who've been learning together over the past few weeks, really taking the time to go deeper uh, in this letter. And uh, really thankful as well, and just want to say hi to those joining us from Ambrose House as they've been meeting in their home group as well and following along with us in this season. So thanks so much for doing that. Uh, and this week, as we start to get close to the end of the letter, one of the issues that Paul's going to spend quite a long time uh, dealing with is the topic of spiritual gifts. And so we're going to spend some time looking at it this morning. Now, I just want to say, just to kind of, um, kind of maybe say some disclaimers or lay some things out before we really dive into this. Uh, one is that if you're someone who's just really curious or interested in learning about this topic of spiritual gifts, we really want to encourage you. We're thankful that you're here learning with us. We want to encourage you to go deeper and learn with us in different ways. But as we look at this letter, it's important to keep in mind that Paul's goal in writing this isn't to teach us everything there is to know about the spiritual gifts. Said he's writing this letter as a particular response to offer correction about particular ways that the people in the church in Corinth were losing sight of what the gifts were actually for and what they were all about. And so this morning we're going to look at this section of Paul's letter, uh, but I really want to encourage you, as we just have every week, take some time just to read on your own. Read these next few chapters, the chapters 12 to 14 that really talk about the spiritual gifts. Uh, now, before we look at these chapters, uh, if you've never heard of spiritual gifts before, and this topic is just brand new for you, I want to start off just by giving you a simple definition of what the spiritual gifts are and what they're for. And so put simply, spiritual gifts are gifts that are given to us from God by the Holy Spirit to fulfill His purposes as we learn to follow Jesus and to live as transformed people. And more than that, these gifts are a visible sign of the Holy Spirit at work in us and through us as he takes our own abilities and he transforms them and does something far greater or bigger than we could ever do on our own. And just as a quick note, as, we read, as you read these chapters in your own time, you'll notice that Paul uh, will refer to, to a lot of particular gifts like teaching or prophecy or speaking in tongues. And those are all beautiful and you can read more about those. But it helps to know as well that when he talks about the spiritual gifts, they're not limited to just that the, the particular list. It's better to see them more as examples or pictures of the kinds of things God does in and through us by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so as we dive in, 
Paul uh, will address issues with the gifts near the end of the letter that we're going to look at in a minute. But first, I want to go back right to the beginning of the letter where Paul says something surprising about the spiritual gifts that seems to almost sort of contradict or not fit with the fact that he has to address them in a, in a different way later. And here's what he says. From the beginning of the letter, he says, Now you have every spiritual gift you need as you eagerly wait for the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I don't know about you, when I read that, it's really surprising to me. I immediately think, well, Paul, if, if, they already have, if you're already acknowledging that they have all the, the gifts that they need in the church, the, aren't they kind of already, like, what's the problem? Aren't they good? Why is there an issue here at all? And isn't it that enough that they already have the gifts? Doesn't that mean that they're a church that's healthy already, that's spiritually mature? And it, it, like, it, isn't it a problem with so many churches today that they don't have all the spiritual gifts? Isn't that the real issue? But it's so easy to think that as a church, we just need to ask and pray for more gifts. Well, that's important. We do that without focusing on how much it matters that we're using our gifts as God intended. And the problem with the church in Corinth wasn't that they didn't have spiritual gifts. It was that they'd stopped using them as God intended them to be used. And more than that, they stopped seeing and using them in a way that was connected and rooted in God's purposes. Instead, they were using them in a way that was causing problems and division. Uh, When I was a little kid, one of the movies that came out when I was really, really young was The Little Mermaid. Maybe you've heard of it before. Maybe you know of it. Uh, It was popular for quite a few years. Anybody seen The Little Mermaid? Most of us probably or at least heard of it. If you haven't, don't watch it. It's a terrible movie. No, I'm, I'm kind of kidding, but uh, as a, actually as a father of, of many daughters, she's actually, Ariel is actually a really bad role model, so, so don't watch it. If you have, we don't judge you. If you like it, if it's one of your favorites, but uh, I'm kidding, but not really. Uh, but one of the things that really happens at the beginning of this movie is that we are introduced to Ariel, who's a mermaid, and one of the things about Ariel is that she's really fascinated by humans. And not only is she fascinated by them, but she has a collection that she's been getting of different like, human things, little shiny gadgets and tools and forks and coloring, all that kind of different things. And, but the problem is she doesn't really know what they're for. She loves them and she dreams about them, but she doesn't really know what their purpose is. And so she talks about them, she kind of makes things up about them, and later on there's actually a scene where she's finally with humans and she uses like a fork in her hair and she blows smoke from a... From a what's the word, a pipe into somebody's face. Okay, it's really bad. And uh, in this moment, this movie is really, I think for us, such a simple example of how easy it is to use something in a way that's different than how it was intended to use. And when that happens, it, it can be disconnected from any relationship or understanding of the person who actually made that thing in the first place. This is something that happens with the spiritual gifts all the time. They can so easily be disconnected from the source or the author, the creator of the gifts, that they lose their purpose. And as a result, they're even used in the wrong ways or for the wrong things. Like Ariel, we can dream about them and wish for them and be fascinated and enamored by the gifts and to see them as these fun and exciting things that make us feel special. But if we're not growing in our understanding of how they're connected to God and the Holy Spirit and to the larger story and picture they're part of, they become used in ways that are disconnected from their their proper purpose or from their proper context. And when this happens, it can be confusing and even harmful to other people. And because the people in the church in Corinth are using gifts in a way that's unhelpful or disconnected from God's intentions, Paul right away starts this, this next section of the letter at the beginning of chapter 12 by reminding them of the source of all these gifts. Here's what he says. 
I have it on the screen for you as well. It says, there are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same spirit is the source of them all. There are different kinds of service, but we serve the same Lord. God works in different ways, but it is the same God who does the work in all of us. A spiritual gift is given to each of us so we can help each other. So Paul says right away, remember who the source is of all the spiritual gifts. That they flow from God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Because if you don't keep this this principle at the center of your understanding and your outworking of how the spiritual gifts work, you will quickly replace a Christian understanding of the gifts with an understanding of spiritual gifts that looks more like the rest of the world. This was a mistake that was being made by the people in Corinth. That without realizing it, they had let their version of spirituality, what it means to be even be given a special kind of gift or spiritual power, look more like the pagan culture around them than what, it was, uh, than what was actually passed on to them through the teachings of the faith. They were busy chasing spiritual experiences, prioritizing gifts that were more flashy or exciting than other ones, and using them in a way that was proud and selfish and self-absorbed. And they were even acting superior to those who didn't have the same gifts as they did. They had begun to see their gifts in ways that were disconnected from who God is and what it means to be his people. And this happens all the time in our world today. We so easily confuse a Christian understanding of spirituality and the spiritual gifts with an understanding of gifts and the supernatural that comes more from our culture. I have uh, just a, a, a distant relative who regularly posts on Facebook, and they're really into just exploring spirituality, and they regularly mix different ideas and different kind of uh, practices from different religions and cultures, and uh, they do this just out of this you know, it's hard to explore what spirituality is. And so one day they'll post uh, these things about, about Wicca, about different spells or, or power in herbs and things like that. And the next day, they'll post about like Buddhist ancestral worship or those kind of things and, and what it means to be bestowed powers from ancestors. And they just mix all these different things. And we know that they're not alone in doing this, that in our world today, it's so common for people to just be interested in spiritual things and to explore in a way that they mix different ideas from different things. And they're, they're okay to try those different things. And as a church, we're really learning together to honor and to respect people's beliefs and to dialogue and walk alongside them in their curiosity and in their deep longing that we see for spirituality and for things of God. But at the same time for us, if we're not careful, when we decide to say yes to Jesus, to follow him, maybe even if you've been a Christian your whole life, it can be so easy to mix or sprinkle in spiritual ideas that come from our culture or that come from different religions into our understanding of spiritual gifts that they no longer reflect God and the teachings of the Bible. To help us kind of give us some ideas of this, I put together a short list of just a few things that can happen when we mix Christianity with some of these other ideas. Maybe you can think of a couple more on your own. We'll have a few on the screen. Uh, But this is what happens when the spiritual gifts become disconnected from the Holy Spirit. This is what happens. First, the spiritual gifts can look more like superstition. They can be used almost as like magic formulas or the almost incantations. Or they can be used as a quick fix or solution to complex problems or even a shortcut to healing. Or we can become easily fascinated and even tricked by seeing everything that is a special sign from God. Or another thing that can happen is we begin to chase experiences in a certain way. We can prioritize certain kinds of feelings or experiences over other things. And we chase spiritual highs and then wonder why we feel lost or confused when those go away. 
Or a common way that this one happens is that we value emotional experiences in a way that's disconnected from engaging our minds or even engaging our bodies in a healthy way. Or third is we treat spiritual gifts in a, in a way that's hierarchical, like a hierarchy, where we see certain gifts as better than others. We prioritize maybe flashier gifts uh, and see them more as, spirit, as more spiritual. Or we prioritize gifts that are more visible or upfront for people. And I want to note quickly, too, with this one, you'll notice that in his letters, Paul writes and highlights gifts in a certain way, where sometimes he'll talk about gifts that help equip and enable the other gifts to flourish. But what he's not saying is that they're superior in any way. And when all these things happen, again, maybe you have some other examples that you can think of, but when these things happen, they, the gifts no longer reflect the Holy Spirit. Instead, they become a reflection of something else completely. But Paul says here, he's reminding us the purpose of the gifts and who they reflect matters in Christianity. It's not enough just to have the gifts. We need to learn to use them in ways that point to God's character and to who Jesus is and how Jesus acts. One of the ways this has worked out is it means that the gifts should always be used in ways that bring peace and understanding instead of disorder and confusion. This point alone is so important that Paul will spend a whole chapter on this later, addressing this problem. But it also means that the gifts should be used in a way that helps others come to know Jesus and his love for them instead of turning them away. And most of all, Paul says the purpose of the gifts is to serve and to build a church in a way that others are helped and encouraged and healed and realize that they're set free and used in a way that helps others to grow in their knowledge of God's love and their relationship with him. As you maybe just take a second this morning and consider the spiritual gifts and what they're all about, what is your understanding of the gifts primarily been shaped by? Maybe this week as you spend some time just reading this letter and reflecting on the idea of these gifts, it's a good time to just pay attention to how maybe some of your understanding or some of your practices of these gifts has been more shaped or influenced by the culture around you than by the teaching of the Bible or your understanding of who God is. Maybe just what is one thing that you can do to grow in your awareness of understanding the bigger story and the, the God who these gifts flow out of? Maybe it just means instead of feeling just stuck in your confusion about the gifts or even just being really fascinated by and curious about you know, more of the exciting parts of the gifts, you just dedicate more time to reading your Bible or, or coming joining us for a Bible study or a learning series where we learn to go deeper in understanding God and the Holy Spirit and how that all ties together. As we think about these gifts together, Paul now continues in his letter by sharing about how our understanding of these gifts not only needs to be rooted in the God of the Bible, but how because of this, they also need to flow out of a deeper understanding of what it means to be rooted and connected to the church. And so he continues in this section in chapter 12 by talking about the spiritual gifts in the context of the church. And to do that, he uses a special image, which is the image of a body. And we don't have time to look at this whole section this morning. Again, I encourage you to read it on your own time. But here's how Paul starts off by talking about this image. Here's what it says. He says, The human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews, some of us Gentiles, some slaves, some free. But we have all been baptized into one body by one spirit, and we all share the same spirit. 
So Paul uses this image, not just of any body to talk about the church, but he uses the image of a human body. And he uses this image for us for a few different reasons. One is just to highlight the mystery that when we say yes to Jesus, we become some part of something that's bigger than ourselves. Another is to show that in the church, there's both diversity and unity. That the kind of unity is a special kind of unity made up of very diverse people from different backgrounds. Uh, But the biggest reason why Paul uses this image of a living body is because Jesus himself is alive, and that changes everything. That it's that should be at the center of everything we do. As we learn and to live into this new life that Jesus has for us, as he does this work of redemption and restoration among us, we also become connected to something bigger than ourselves as part of this living body. And as we learn to trust that Jesus is the one who is now alive and amongst us, we also recognize that together we represent the living Jesus to the rest of the world. And like all living bodies need to stay healthy, we need to work at this together. We need to work at making sure all the parts, meaning all the the people who are connected to this body, communicate well with one another. We need to pay attention to the parts that need healing and to the parts who need support and the parts that need to be strengthened and the parts that need rest and encouragement. And yes, at times this is really messy for us. This is frustrating and difficult, but we're called to do this now together because Jesus is alive and amongst us. Because of this new reality, we no longer can live for ourselves. We no longer can see spiritual gifts as just our gifts, but they belong now to something bigger. And part of how the people in the church in Corinth were creating division with the gifts is because they were acting selfish. They were pitting the gifts against each other and valuing certain gifts above others. And not only was this causing division, but Paul will later say that it's even hurting how they're representing Jesus to the rest of the world. And this is something that you need to understand that's so central about the purpose of the gifts. If you're taking notes, you can write this down, that our gifts are not our own. They're always for the sake of others. That what we do with them, how we steward them and nurture them and grow in them isn't for ourselves, but it's for others around us. And what we choose to do or not do with them actually affects the rest of the body and how we represent Jesus. And so Paul continues this image of the body by saying that if we choose to be selfish with our gifts and to see them as superior to others, or on the other hand, if we think our gifts aren't important and we choose to not use them at all, it affects the rest of the body. Here's what he says next. He says, but our bodies have many parts and God has put each part just where he wants it. How strange a body would be if it only had one part. Yes, there are many parts, but only one body. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. The head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. In fact, some parts of the body that seem weakest and least important are actually the most necessary. This makes for harmony among the members so that all members care for each other. If one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. And if one part is honored, all the parts are glad. All of you together are Christ's body and each of you is a part of it. How amazing is that to hear? That in this new body called the church, no matter what you look like or where you come from or where you've been, God calls each of us to belong together and he sees each of us as valuable and important in his kingdom. This image of the importance of each uh, member of the body really came alive for me about six months ago. Uh, As some of you know, uh, this past spring I was helping my neighbor take down their tempo. And if you don't know what a tempo is, Uh, Maybe you're tuning in from outside of Quebec. It is uh, like a a shelter that goes over your driveway, like a tent. 
And I was helping him take it down, and uh, something unexpectedly started falling, and I pinched my finger between two big metal poles. It was really bad. I was rushed to the hospital, and uh, it could have been a lot worse, but thankfully there was no permanent damage, but it's still, it's still recovering. It's still healing. And uh, the moral of this story is never help your neighbor, okay? <laughs> never thought you'd hear that in church. Uh, but it's still healing, but it really helped me to kind of realize how this comes alive, this image in a new way, that I, I took for granted how much I needed this one finger that I didn't think mattered that, that much. thought I could just use the other ones. Uh, but there were so many things that I, I, I struggled to do or that I couldn't do, and I, I realized how uncoordinated I became. And not only that, but even just using this hand at first caused a lot of pain because of how all of those parts are connected. And, uh, you know, I think Paul uses this image of the body to show how important every part of the body is. That God, the Holy Spirit, blesses each of us with different and unique gifts needed in the body to serve and grow and mature. But it's also an image of how important it is that we don't take our own gifts for granted or those of other people. Because how we choose to use or not use our gifts is bigger than just ourselves. It affects other people. In our world, we typically see and understand the gifts or the idea of gifts as something that's just for me or you to do whatever we want with. But here, Paul is giving us a picture of gifts that are connected to the larger world around us. They're to be used to glorify Jesus as his people. As you think about just this image of the body and what it means to be a part of this, how might you grow in using your gifts? Is there a gift maybe that you have that you've been taking for granted because you didn't think it was important or you weren't sure maybe how it worked? Have you been missing that you yourself even are a gift to those around you? If you're a parent, maybe you just need to hear again that your gifts matter for your kids. Or if you're getting older and you don't think your gifts matter anymore or you think you've used them enough, that God wants to remind you that your voice And your unique gifts not only matter to the next generation or to my generation, but that he wants to use them in ways that are beyond what you could ever imagine or understand. Maybe you're single and you're here and you just need to to hear that your gifts, and you you have unique gifts and a special voice in the church that we want to celebrate and we want to recognize. Or maybe you just feel like you're here and you're too broken. You've done too many mistakes in your past. And you just need to hear that when you say yes, to Jesus, because he's alive and he's redeeming and he's restoring you, he wants to use how he's restoring that past in a way that blesses others, in ways that go beyond what you could ever imagine. How might you grow in the gifts God has given you as you learn to align with his purposes and use them for the sake of others? How can we learn together to see and recognize the gifts and others that we would otherwise take for granted? As you think about this idea and this image, I want to just uh, take a second to play a special video that uh, Janina, who's on staff, did with Andy. And Andy leads our clean team. And uh, let him share, but he talks about how he's just using his gifts and learning to see them in a special way. So take a look at this. All right, so... uh... Hi everyone, we're so glad that we get to have a special time with one of our leaders and I'm so happy to be here with Andy who's been leading our clean team. So uh, Andy, welcome, thank you for doing this and uh, maybe you can just share a little bit about uh, your journey with the clean team, how did you get on the clean team, how long have you been, uh, been serving? 
Yeah, sure. Thanks for having me, Janina. It's a pleasure and an honor. Uh, so I've been on the clean team for four years now. And uh, like I was saying, um, uh, Dom said if I didn't join a team, he'd punch me in the head. So <laughs> <laughs> That's how we get all the team uh, people to join. That's how the team yeah. it was. Uh, <laughs> uh, no, actually, I started uh, when Alan was still with us. Um, he uh, encouraged me to join a team. It was my beginning stages of, uh, of being a Christian. Uh, and... Um, yeah, so I joined the clean team because I did have uh, uh, knowledge on how to clean, I guess, if you want. Uh, <laughs> clean toilet bowls. <laughs> Always <laughs> a, great, a plus. Great experience, right? <laughs> no, but I mean, even uh, maintaining the building, like if things were broken, uh, I'd fix them at the same time because, you know, you're walking through the whole building cleaning. So We're so glad that you're serving. If you can share... Um, Maybe to somebody who doesn't know about the clean team, what would you share to them about what's special about serving on this team? Yeah, sure. I mean, uh, we get to meet a lot of uh, people in our church. And, um, you know, obviously when we start cleaning, we always, you know, conversate a bit and, and talk. And uh, we get to know each other and our experiences uh, and it helps us uh, sometimes relate to each other and uh, by sharing our experiences. And uh, I, I it's find a special it, time to build relationships, right? Yeah, right. I mean, we have time, much more time than on a Sunday, you know. Yeah. To, uh, what, uh, if you can reflect maybe on the past four years, how has being on the team and leading the team made you grow or, or learn? Growing as a Christian, I would say that um, meeting uh, all these new people and all their different stages in Christianity has helped me maybe uh, grow um, and wanting to grow. It's made me realize that... Um, uh, it's bigger than just cleaning. It's mm -hmm. it's uh, actually uh, cleaning God's house, and I don't see it as uh, at the beginning. I might have seen it as work, but I, I see it now more as uh, like a worship, uh, just like worship. I mean, yeah, cleaning a toilet bowl doesn't sound like worship, but I mean, it's your mindset when you're cleaning and why you're doing it, and no matter how dirty or how people don't pick up after each other. I mean, it's bigger than that. So, yeah, thank you. That's, that's yeah. so nicely put. Yeah. Everything we do is a form of worship, right? Yeah. 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 So what, as we start to think, what does the clean team need? Like when we think about a, a serve team in our church, what could the clean team use? Well, we could use uh, a lot more people to serve. Uh, I mean, we have a lot of uh, a lot of people. I mean, a lot of people. We have people that are serving at the moment, but it's it's not enough to have a good rotation so that uh, we can offload some of the work. Because yeah. uh, I mean, uh, a lot of the people that we do have have families and kids, and uh, they're constantly uh, showing up, and I'm, I'm so blessed to have like a team that uh, 
that's always there. I mean, uh, thank you, Andy. Just so one more, one last question. Right. How can we as a church pray for you and and as you lead this team? Yeah. Um, well, you could pray that uh, for all the families, uh, the people on the team. Uh, we have young families and uh, also pray for uh, for the people that leave their cups on the floor uh, after service. <laughs> pray for That's awesome. No. That's great. Thank you, Andy. And uh, thank it's a pleasure. you for your time, for serving, for being part of our family. And uh, we're so thankful for you. Yeah, it's an honor. Good. Thanks, Andy. Good. Bye. 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 Uh, how can that not bring a smile to your face? Uh, we're just so thankful for Andy and for the team. Would you just even just pray for him? Join the team so Pastor Dom doesn't punch you in the face. Uh, but I love just how he shared, even just as a new Christian, that that was really helping him to discern that, you know, as he used his gifts, maybe in an unexpected way or a way that seemed insignificant, that God was taking it and using it to remind him that he's doing something much bigger than himself because he's, God's the one who transforms our abilities and makes them into something bigger. And I love what Andy shared too about just seeing it as worship. It's so important for us to even understand that as we use our gifts to see it as worship, to see it as something bigger than ourselves, as we learn to love God and love those around us, even when they leave cups on the floor. Uh, and Andy's just such a, mo- a model of really what, as we're beginning to wrap up, what Paul is going to talk about next as he moves from talking about the purpose of the gifts to the things or to the, to the thing, the motivation the behind that purpose or the thing that fuels how we use our gifts. And so as we look at this last section, you're probably going to recognize this passage because it's a passage in the Bible that's famously heard at weddings. Maybe you've heard it before. You, I'm sure you'll recognize it. Maybe you were just at a wedding where they use this passage. Uh, and it's often referred to as the love passage. And, you know, it's beautiful that it is uh, read at weddings very often, but maybe you didn't realize that Paul didn't write it for weddings at all. He actually wrote it and placed it right in the middle of this section on the spiritual gifts because it's central to how we understand the gifts and how we use them. And it's a text that's been so misunderstood over the years because it's easy to miss the bigger vision that Paul's drawing us into. It's easy to miss how our our gifts are meant to be rooted in a special kind of love, which is God's love. Uh, And here's how this section begins. It says, If I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains, but didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it, but if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. Paul wants to make it crystal clear that without love, the spiritual gifts are useless. He's saying that, there, it's that there's a kind of spirituality that's not about growing in love for God or for others. And when that happens, it's meaningless, even if it looks good on the outside or to other people. And if your gifts aren't rooted in love, then they're not actually coming from the Holy Spirit at all. Now, as you look at this text, you're probably thinking what I often do when I read this. It's easy to look at this passage and just think, well, that's so obvious. Of course, we need to love. Like, that, obviously, that's what it's all about. But what Paul's really saying here is much, much deeper than that. 
because he's giving us a picture of love that's much bigger than all of us. So as we read this next part, I want you to we'll put it on the screen, and I want you to just look at this picture Paul gives and just take a second to ask yourself, how am I doing with this kind of love? Is this something that I'm growing at consistently? Here's what he says. It says, love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. Now, the mistake that I think is so easy for all of us when we read this is to see this list as almost a laundry list of things that we just need to work at and get better at. But Paul isn't giving a list of rules or actions at all. What he's doing is much bigger than that. He's actually giving more of a picture or a vision of a particular kind of love, and it's the kind of love that none of us can really achieve on our own. Because when you and I look at this passage and we reflect on that and we, and we read this, we all know that we fail to love like this all the time. And even more than that, we know that our own actions can be deceiving, even when we're doing the right thing, that we can choose to be kind or patient or generous without any real change in our hearts. But Paul's painting a picture of the kind of love that can only flow out of God's love. It's the kind of love we can't do ourselves without God transforming our hearts first. In fact, just to go deeper, just for a second, in the Old Testament, the key prophecies that anticipated the day when the Holy Spirit would come and be poured out uh, on, on, in a fresh way looked to the day when God would give us new hearts, that he would take our heart of stone and replace it with a heart of flesh. And Paul gives us a picture here of what happens when this kind of love takes root in our hearts. We begins to transform us from the inside out. And when this happens, it completely transforms the way that we see and love those around us. God's love becomes the motivation for all our actions and how we use our gifts. And it's the kind of love that looks completely different than the values of the world around us. It's the kind of love where we're set free in a way that we actually want to do things for others that's surprising, not only to ourselves, but to the world around us. It's surprising to them as well. We begin to love in a way that seems so counter-cultural that it's surprising to our friends or our family members or our spouses or our co-workers or neighbors. And it's the kind of love that doesn't just fit into any set formula and can't be limited even just to a set of actions because it's so much bigger than that. It's also the kind of love that doesn't just happen overnight. Nor it is a love that we can just force ourselves into. It's, but instead, it's the kind of love we can grow in only as we learn to constantly surrender to God and the transforming work he wants to do in us by the Holy Spirit. As some of you know, uh, the, the iPhone 14 came out a couple months ago. I don't have it, and if you do, don't raise your hand because we'll all be jealous. Uh, definitely don't raise your hand if you're an Android user. Uh, we won't be friends. No, I'm kidding. You just won't be in our group chat. Uh, but one of the things that was really anticipated, maybe you read articles even before it came out, about the iPhone 14 that was like the most exciting feature was that the front of the camera that faces inwards was getting a huge upgrade. The, the camera that actually is used for taking selfies and all those kinds of things. And not that there's anything wrong with this, but it shows us what a priority it was, that that was what was exciting about this iPhone. And we live today in such a selfie culture. 
We live in a culture that teaches us that what's most important is to always keep the camera on ourselves, to focus on our own dreams and plans and desires, to always be reflecting on our own frustrations and our own hurts so much that we never know how to flip the camera around. Because of this, we miss out on the bigger picture, the bigger lens God wants to give us of the world around us and the things that are in front of us and of his love for others. One of the most important leaders in the history of the church is a man named Martin Luther. And he has a famous phrase we've shared before that describes what happens when sin takes root in our hearts and keeps us from experiencing God's love and loving others. And it's this Latin phrase I won't try to read, but it translates to to be turned, uh, excuse me, to be turned inward on ourselves. Describe sin as this thing that keeps us from knowing God's love for ourselves and for others by keeping us turned inward on ourselves. Now, just to be clear, what Martin Luther is not saying is that it's not ever important to look inward or to self-reflect or to understand ourselves better and how God loves us or to see ourselves invaluable or anything like that. But what he is saying is that if we don't learn to continually surrender to God's love, we'll stay focused inward on ourselves in a way that will miss out on his love for us and what he wants to do in and through us for other people. As we begin to wrap up, I'm going to invite the band to come up. Uh, And just as they come up, I want to just share a couple more things. One is that here at our church, we use a phrase that really captures our goal as we uh, grow together, what what it means to be shaped in our worship together, which is the phrase that we're learning to love Jesus and to love like Jesus. But it's important to know that this is something that we can't grow in without learning this posture of surrender. We need to learn to let go of the phone and to give it to God to let him transform us in a way that the camera begins to turn around, to do a 180. We need to let go of always being in control and being turned inward on ourselves, of always being stuck in our own hurts or our own frustrations. That's, that's all we could ever see. We need to learn to let go so we can live even in the freedom of the new lens and the new vision God wants to give us that's just beyond us to live into a world shaped by his love and his ways so we can be transformed in a way that we actually desire to use our gifts to bless others. Even when that love isn't reciprocated or isn't recognized or isn't appreciated. As you think about this vision of the kind of love that only God can grow in us by his transformation, what's something maybe he's asking you today to surrender that's keeping you turned in on yourself? and keeping you from loving others? Is there maybe an area in your life or a relationship that comes to mind where it's time to let go of control, to surrender your own agenda or your own hopes or dreams or desires or expectations so that God's love can really take root and grow in you in new and surprising ways? As you learn to use your gifts for those around you, Maybe one of the ways you've been looking inward is even just to be worried about your own gifts or I don't have this or what if this happens, whatever, but to just realize that God is calling you to use your gifts, that he's blessed you with gifts that are for those around you. I want to just end uh, before the band plays a song by sharing this last part of what Paul says about what it means to be rooted in this kind of love that comes from God. This is what it says. It says, Prophecy and speaking in unknown languages and special knowledge will become useless, but love will last forever. 
In other words, he's saying that while there are things in this world that will fade away and that will no longer have any lasting value in the end, even gifts that are special or important to us now, that love that comes from God will never fade because it's eternal. To be a Christian is to believe that God existed as the Trinity. He existed in mutual love within himself in the past, before time began, that he exists that way now in perfect love in the present, and that he will exist that way for all of eternity. And we say, when we say yes to Jesus, we're drawn into that same love. As we learn to surrender, to love one another, and to be transformed by that love, and to use our gifts as an act of worship to God for the sake of others. And as one uh, author I was reading this week puts it, we're actually, when we do this, we're actually experiencing a taste of eternity. We're actually getting a taste of heaven here on earth. We're practicing and being formed in something that will last for all eternity because it's rooted in the love of God. So just as we, I want us to, to end with this song and uh, as the band plays this, it's, we played it earlier, Your Love Never Fails. And as we sing this song, I want you to just reflect on how God is calling you to be more rooted in this kind of love. When there's so many distractions or other values in the world, what does it mean to be rooted in this love that can only come from God? What is he calling you to do or surrender in order to be rooted in this love? Why don't you consider even just how he's asking you to use your gifts in ways that help others around you experience this love as well, to be drawn in. And what it means to worship and and love in a way that gives you and others a taste of heaven. I'm going to invite you to stand sing this together. Sing it. Nothing can separate even if you ran away cause your love never You have mercies for me every day Cause your love never fails You stay the same through the ages Your love never changes Maybe pain Joy comes in morning, and when the oceans rage, I don't have to be afraid, cause I know that you love me, you Your love never fails. We're strong in the waters deep, but not alone here in these open seas. Your love never
never thought I'd reach the other side Cause your love never fails You said the same through the ages Your love never changes Baby, pain is the night But joy comes so often fail us that you never fail because you are the God of love God forgive us for the times that we fail to love others in this way that we forgive us for the times that we use our gifts in ways that are unhelpful or that we take for granted the gifts that we have that you want to use to bless those around us. God, would you help us to be shaped by this love? Help us to surrender the things in our lives that get in the way, that your love would grow out of a deep, deep place of being rooted in our hearts. God, we can all think of so many people in our lives, close to us or far, who need to know this love that you have for them. Would you shape us in a way that we're not just turned in on ourselves, but that we look outwards and see others the way that you see them and learn to love them as you do. God, we thank you for the promise that as we learn to do this together, that you are forming in us into something new because Jesus, you're alive and you're here with us and amongst us. And thank you for the promise that as we learn to do this together, we get a taste of eternity. We get a taste of heaven because of this kind of love that changes everything. So be with us as we go from here. Help us to grow in this more and more, to not take for granted the things that you're doing in us, to do the hard work and discipline of growing in this way and in this direction. Thank you for your love and just what you're doing in each and every one of us and as a church and as a community. So be with us as we go. Pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thanks everyone. Just want to mention before you take off, we have a, a prayer team who would love to take a minute to pray with you if something's stirred in your heart. 
Uh, otherwise, just we'll see you next week. Have a great week.